This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including eBooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to the New Books Network. I'm your host, Kirk Megu. I'm also the Public Relations Officer of the United National Congress, the official opposition party in the Republic of Trinidad and Tobago, and a former lecturer at the University of the West Indies, both at the Jamaica and Trinidad campuses. Today, my guest is Stephen Boucher, co-editor of the book, The Routledge Handbook of Collective Intelligence for Democracy and Governance, published in 2023. Welcome, Stephen. Thank you. Thank you, Kirk. Could you tell us what your book is about? So the Routledge Handbook of Collective Intelligence for Democracy and Governance, I guess uh, much of what it talks about is on the label, is on the... um, It's a handbook, academic handbook, that explores the concepts, methodologies, and implications of collective intelligence for democratic governance. Uh, and it's actually the first comprehensive survey of this field. Right. So can you explain what collective intelligence is? Yeah, great question. Um, it's the amazing capacity that groups have under the right conditions to outperform individuals in solving problems, innovating, predicting, uh, being creative and other cognitive tasks. So it's essentially uh, the ability of groups, again, under the right conditions to do whereby one plus one might be more than two. Right. You know, it's like, I, I guess it's kind of like uh, related in some sense to the Durkheimian sense of society being something different. And, and, and I think, you know, other, uh, you know, theorists like, like maybe Jung and the, the, this idea of, of a collective identity uh, existing, first of all, which is different from the kind of liberal knowledge of just, you know, uh, understanding that there are only individuals. So this idea. Um, so I, I, I suppose it, it's, it's obvious uh, in the sense that something like collective intelligence would help uh, democracy and govern governance um, when you um, understand it in that way. Um, what, what are the ways I, I'm interested, like, what are the ways uh, that you harness this collective intelligence? Is it things like, you know, I guess currently there's, you know, voting, surveys, I guess now with uh, big data, you know, uh, gathering stuff like through social media, the way Facebook and, and these companies do it. Um, is it is it something more than that uh, or different or what? Well, we all do collective thinking by default as a species it's something we're very good at uh, but we also have a lot of examples of collective stupidity around us don't we 
Um, so collective intelligence doesn't emerge automatically when you put people in the same room or uh, interacting in one way or another. Um, and it also doesn't emerge naturally in the context of politics, where you have a lot of competition, uh, competing interests, uh, competing views of the world, etc. And on the other hand, you also see amazing cases, uh, which this handbook documents, of people who purposefully design their interactions to be smarter together, which, by the way, happens to be the name of the nonprofit we put together to disseminate uh, the, the principles we talk about in this handbook. Um, and essentially, this happens in many different ways across different contexts. And we actually document, you know, we have 36 case studies with different methods. But what unites them is a number of um, universal principles. One is that you tend to have great intelligence if you have more people in the room. You know, if it's just you and me trying to solve climate change, well, <laughs> we might agree fast, but we might have a difficulty. Uh, I guess that's like out. the idea of brainstorming and whatnot. In a sense, is brainstorming or... is a is 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 a collective intelligence right. method indeed. Um, so more people, but not just more people for the sake of more people. It's more diverse people, people who have different views of the world. Another key principle is enabling these people to have a proper exchange of information when it comes to politics, you know, a deliberation versus a, 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 an aggressive debate, whereby people will, you know, at deliberation, uh, consider things properly, etc. So these principles are quite universal. Right. Uh, you know, one thing that that's coming to my mind as you're speaking is um, that you talked about collective stupidity. It's like the opposite, you know, the mob. Right. So so we have the wisdom of crowds on, on the one hand, but you also have uh, mob mentality. And, and, you know, and people talk about this. I remember reading, um, you know, uh, Orlando Patterson talking about like lynchings in the United States and how this mob mentality would take over normally sensible people. Um and you know, and and so so how how does this relate to um, uh, collective intelligence? Is is it that um, I, I'm trying to think is is collective intelligence a a tech a series of techniques or is it uh, or is it um, something like a, a, a just a description of a phenomenon? Collective intelligence is both a process and a field of study, right? Um, as a process. Again, you have a number of key principles. Mm -hmm. More people, more diverse people, deliberating well, uh, with mechanisms to aggregate their thinking appropriately, um, and the ability to uh, extend their thinking with uh, greater tools for thinking, um, and all of this with psychological safety. So if you take the reverse of this, you can have the conditions for um group thinking uh and 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 lots of perverse effects that will amplify people's uh cognitive biases people's uh, prejudices etc so if you have a, a smaller number of people with less diversity you know sharing similar views they will reinforce their biases if you have people not deliberating well but screaming at each other or you know following the the the, the person in the room with the strongest voice, if you don't have psychological safety, you have pressure, et cetera, then you can have these amplification effects 
and 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 people will start you know, following the mob. So that's that is now also a science. Uh, there is um, academics from the fields of social psychology, neuroscience, political science, uh, uh, behavioral economics, etc., that are studying how groups think better under the right conditions, and collectively, that's you know the the, the science of collective intelligence. Um, so that is now well documented, and we can start thinking, well, purposefully, how can we apply this to government rather than just design government, you know, hoping that it will solve problems uh, miraculously. Yeah. Now, now that you know, you 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 point that out. That that idea of individual safety, I think, is is extremely important, and that's what the parliamentary system was supposed to do, and that's why you have freedom of expression and and. Um, so each parliamentary representative is supposed to have that sense of security that they can speak, they will have time to speak, their their views will be considered, and in practice might be different, but that that's certainly um, uh, the the idea there. You, you know, you, your book has um, examples from all around the world uh, where um, uh, of of it, it, is it? Uh, would you say it's it's these are examples? Um, where specific techniques have been used and you're looking at those techniques, or is it where um, a kind of uh, post-facto analysis of, 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 of a decision-making event that, that was determined as being, you know, collective intelligence? Um, I, 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 yeah, can you just explain that? Well, um, yes, maybe, and then I'll, I see I could answer better the previous question. So it's a bit like, uh, the toolbox and the physics behind the toolbox. Right. Uh, we understand the physics behind the effect that a hammer has on the nail, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but you can have that same effect with other tools on a nail. Um, and um, same here, the, the, the science of collective intelligence tells us that there are these key principles. The techniques vary a lot. Right. Um, and in the handbook, you have things like um, the small town outside Copenhagen that developed something that they called political task committees. So it's working groups of elected officials working with citizens uh, uh, to solve public problems in a certain way. That is different as a technique from, for instance, uh, uh, a, a device in India whereby uh, citizens are invited to share their opinion on public problems through their mobile phones and they leave messages and they can listen to other people's messages and they can have a conversation like this about a public problem and share their thoughts without necessarily being literate, without having a computer or anything. These are very different techniques. Mm -hmm. Just name two of them out of the many in the handbook. Um, but they have these principles in common. Yeah. What would you say? I mean, you're a co-editor of it, and there it's a, over 500 pages. You have many examples from all around the world, that, uh, very diverse, from rich countries to poor countries, uh, large countries to small countries. Um, what are some of the the outstanding examples uh, that 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 stick out in in your mind? That especially for someone who who might be now learning about this that you think would be, uh, you know, great things that, that they would pique their interest? Well, it's difficult to choose, and mm -hmm. I wouldn't want to, uh, <laughs> um, you know, 
choose your I favorite have the yeah. contributors, but there are indeed 70 contributors and 36 case studies. So I will not list all of them. Um, and there are, by the way, not just examples of phenomenal results. Uh, there are also examples of failures, whereby uh, I'll start with an example of a failure. A, uh, a government agency in the southern region of Belgium tried to organize uh, a hub uh, for policymakers called Co-Intelligence Wallonia. That's the region. Mm -hmm. And they didn't succeed for very long because the principles of collective intelligence were not being sufficiently supported by the politicians. And, you know, the, yeah. the, the, the power struggles don't always sit very well. The, the principles of collective intelligence don't always sit very well with the power struggles. Mm -hmm. But now to give examples of things that worked really well. So, um, again, the political task committees in, in Denmark, I, I could cite uh, a, a form that is not very well known uh, in Germany called the Agora Energiewende. So it's an agora inspired after mm -hmm. the, the Greeks yeah. um, that brings together the key players for Germany's energy transition out away from nuclear power. So it's a space that's been designed to enable the, these very powerful players, industry players, environmental NGOs, government, etc., to talk and resolve problems. Uh, you know, whereas normally they would just have these uh, fights over the media and 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 and, and not a, come to any agreement. Um, other great examples are um, uh, like uh, V Taiwan, which is a a process both online and offline, whereby the time the government of Taiwan involves its citizens to address everyday problems, and it was put to use very effectively during the uh, COVID pandemic, for instance, to decide on the uh, number of masks required and how to allocate them most efficiently to make predictions uh, to set the agenda for for the for to address the crisis whereas other countries were seen as you know uh, not involving citizens very well in the case of Taiwan they did that very well so these are three shining examples yeah yeah say. good thanks um when you when you raised the COVID-19 uh, policy making and, and there are a couple of articles, at, at least in, in your book, talking about that. And yeah, the, I, there's a lot of, you know, controversy, debate, discussion uh, around that whole process. And, um, you know, there, there are many people who see big data, um, and, uh, and, and I suppose collusion and co collaboration between media and the government and, pharmaceutical agencies and as trying to control people's thoughts and um, uh, on the surface uh, claiming that they want to uh, uh, understand what people are thinking so they can make better decisions so so those in authority can make better decisions but uh, but in reality many want to use that to control and manipulate uh, how does that relate to the uh, to, to the whole theory and study of collective intelligence are, are, are these things that that are on your radar in terms of um, you know the discipline and practice I, I suppose of, of this emerging uh, field of study mm -hmm. well the COVID pandemic is a, is a very interesting case because indeed and rightfully so many people were unhappy about how governments restricted some certain liberties 
uh, monopolized the uh, definition of the public agenda, imposed solutions, etc. So it was not very good for democracy uh, on some level. On the other hand, if you compare how, as a society, in, in fact, at the global level, we tackled this major challenge relative to how humanity tackled the Spanish flu in 1918, 1919, well, we had far fewer deaths. There were 500 million in 1918, 1919. Uh, we came up with vaccines, which some didn't like, but, you know, a, a cure for this at record speed. Um and basically, one of our, if you take a step back and you think of government as a brain, as one of our uh, contributors invites us to do, mm-hmm. uh, as a society, the different functions of a brain were more effectively handled in this century than they were a century ago. The ability first to observe you know, what's happening, collecting indeed data, big data, if you want, large amounts of data, making sense of them, you know, in a, in, a, in a period when things were very chaotic, changing all the time, uncertain, etc. cetera, um, uh, making decisions, acting on those decisions, evaluating, uh, remembering what's been done, etc. These cognitive functions were organized in, 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 in very effective ways. We have the ability today to think as a society much faster. Um, so again, acknowledging the limitations and we need to be much better in the future at getting even more diversity in that process to, to, there are a number of governments actually that are thinking when the next pandemic comes around, how could we involve citizens better in the management of such a crisis? So it, it is. I think we've made progress, and we'll, we can make further progress. Right. Now, you are the CEO of Dreamocracy. Is is that correct? It is. Right. And and that is is connected to to this um, uh, project, correct? Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Could, could you explain that a little more? So, like, what Dreamocracy is about, and how this book is is related uh, to that? Absolutely. So we are a consultancy. If you're, in, if um, the listeners are interested, you can go to dreamocracy.eu on the web. Um, and our mission is to help public authorities or anybody shaping public policies to come up with better solutions collectively. Uh, our motto is collective creativity for the common good. Um, so basically as a consultancy in a field that is complex, um, my Inclination has always been to be able to take a step back and uh, study what we're talking about. And, and, you know, collective intelligence is a buzzword and it can be understood in very many different ways. And it can be a few quick, easy techniques to, you know, with post-its on the wall. But as we show in this handbook, it is also a science with a huge diversity of approaches, which is very much at its beginning. And uh, behind this, there's a sort of a democracy R&D approach, research and development. We we really think that democracy being challenged around the world is the answer to lots of our public problems, but we need to take its ability to solve these problems very seriously. So we won't solve it with a few gimmicks. We won't solve it with a few post-it notes or even citizens' assemblies. We need to enrich our toolbox 
and, and, and then capitalize on the things we've learned over the past uh, few decades. That's yeah. that's the mission we set upon ourselves. On the side, we set we created this nonprofit, Smarter Together, and there you can anyone can go and access all this material for free, the, the handbook and others. Uh, the address is smarter-together.org. Right, because this um, book is open so, source and anybody can access it. Right? Mm-hmm. That's it. Thanks yeah. to uh, the foundation, Porticus, that gave us a grant to enable all this. Excellent. Yeah. So, yeah, well, I mean, so, so you, you mentioned that. I mean, the, so the times we're in right now, uh, you know, um, it's like a new Cold War is emerging, you know, uh, democracy, um, you know, in, in the Western democracies and, um, outside, uh, is challenged, being questioned. And so where, how do you see collective intelligence, uh, in, in that context? Uh, it sounds like maybe, um, you know, you, you, you want to renew and, um, and redeem, I suppose, uh, some of the, the flaws and, and, and criticisms that, uh, that some critics have, have, uh, you know, jumped on or, or emphasized. Is is that uh, mm-hmm. a good understanding or how would you put it? Yeah, absolutely. The way I see it is um, citizens are rightfully so demanding of their governments. And, you know, political scientists talk of three types of legitimacy. People are looking for the legitimacy of their governments through the actions they take and the impact they have on their lives. Basically, if uh, governments solve their problems, great. You know, that government is is uh, legitimate in my eyes. That's often not enough. Uh, also, people expect governments to make decisions in a way that is seen as appropriate. The process was transparent, transparent, uh, inclusive, etc. So that's called process legitimacy. And one aspect of this process is the ability that governments demonstrate that they listened to people's inputs. And, um, and, and not governments, not all governments do that. Now, I would add to that input legitimacy, the emotional aspect that citizens feel that their government's decisions are legitimate if they see that governments have listened to their deeper fears, aspirations, etc. So on these four dimensions, uh, impact legitimacy, process, input, and emotions legitimacy, many governments do not have the trust of their citizens today. And if you look at the conditions I mentioned earlier for collective intelligence to emerge, well, you see that it can really answer these dimensions, can help make smart decisions. It requires being more inclusive and listening to people appropriately, including at a deeper level. Um, so collective intelligence done well, uh, treated seriously, is a cure for this trust issue. Um, but of course, on the other side, we face people who have uh, ready-made, easy, simplistic solutions. So that's why I think Collective intelligence needs to be taken very seriously, mastered, uh, and the, the principles and the methods spread so that it is an antidote for uh, the ills of democracy we're seeing, populism, polarization, and so on. Okay, well, great. Makes sense? Yeah, yeah, it, it does. Um, we're coming to the end of the interview, so I, I, I want to give you a chance to um, perhaps uh, at either, you know, the, 
I'll give a final, you know, summary of the book and its importance and its contribution, or uh, and and maybe any other um, work or projects that you're involved in. Uh, why don't you tell our listeners right now? Thanks, Kirk. Well, um, that book was designed to be both academic, so seriously sourced and, and referenced, and 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 very readable. So all the chapters are short. Uh, they all have stories at their hearts, uh, so there's a lot of inspiration there. And I, so I encourage the readers, and it's all free on the internet. Um, now, I'll also leave your listeners with thought. Um, in a day and age when autocratic regimes, China, Russia, and others are saying, we can be much more effective in democracy is chaos. Well, I would say um, autocratic regimes have throughout history shown their ability to make very effective decisions that can be very wrong. Whereas democracy and collective intelligence can look very messy, but the probability of making mistakes is much lower, and the probability of being close to what people want and making smart decisions is much higher. So uh, inspiration to go the hard way, democracy for better results for everyone, I think is... uh, I hope the uh, the lesson for everyone here. Great. Well, thanks so much for this interview. It's been really informative and enjoyable. Thank you, Kirk. Same here, and uh, good luck. Thanks for listening. So once again, the book is the Routledge Handbook of Collective Intelligence for Democracy and Governance, and we've been speaking to one of the co-editors, Stephen Boucher. Thanks for listening.